Hello, and welcome to the Landis Cooperative Experience podcast featuring the bull bear banter. We all know that markets often behave in a way that can't easily be explained. The bull bear banter is our best effort to digest the noise of the marketplace. So thank you for joining us. Sit back, relax, and let's talk about the markets. Hello, this is Cheyenne Dunham, and I want to welcome you to the January 31st episode of the Bull Bear Banter. Tom Guinan is joining me today and will be giving us an update on the grain markets. Tom? March corn ended today at 381 and a quarter. That's up one and three quarters for the day, and for the week, we lost six cents. For new crop, December corn finished at 390 and three quarters. That's up one quarter of a cent, but for the week, is down seven and a half. March soybean futures ended the day at 872 and a half down three and three quarters for the day and for the week lost 29 and a half. November soybeans ended at 912 and a quarter which is down three and three quarters today and for the week lost 26 and a half. Thanks Tom. Well let's go into the big story of the week. Similar to last week there are a lot of things going on in the U.S. and other parts of the world that we could talk about here but once again I think the big story is our ever-widening issue of the coronavirus. With more than 200 confirmed dead and the World Health Organization declaring it a global public health emergency, the developments continue to escalate quickly. There are now more than 9,800 confirmed cases, and most major airlines have suspended flights between the U.S. and China starting next week. While not as deadly as the Sudden Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS, outbreak in 2002 and 2003, it has already outpaced the spread of SARS. Major stock exchanges as well as commodity values have dropped significantly this week. In addition to the changes in the corn and soybean futures just discussed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down about 700 points this week. Crude oil continues its long slide, now down more than $14 since January 8th. Chicago wheat is down about 20 cents this week, and the Chinese Stock Exchange is set to reopen on Monday after being closed for six sessions for the Lunar New Year observances. There is a lot of apprehension about this and just how big of a sell-off we might see then. So with that, let's move on to the bull bear factors. Well, Cheyenne, on the corn side for bull factors, the one bright part of the grain markets lately has been corn exports. Sales from last week were reported at 48.6 million bushels, which was above the high end of expectations. This is also the third largest number so far in this marketing year. Actual inspections, or loadings, were reported at 26.3 million bushels within market expectations and much above the previous week's number of 15.6 million. Along with the sales and actual loadings, we continue to hear a lot of talk about U.S. corn being the cheapest spot in the world to buy corn. We'll need more business in the next few months because for now, we're 53% behind this time last year. On the bear side for corn, as mentioned earlier, crude oil has been falling hard the past few weeks. With March futures now below $52 a barrel, that's now the three-and-a-half-month low, ethanol margins continue to be under pressure. Last week, ethanol production dropped to 303 million gallons, which was down from 308 million the previous week. Stocks also increased slightly and continue to be above 1 billion gallons. This is the highest level in 26 weeks and the sixth highest since June of 2010. Brazil's first corn crop harvest is 11% complete versus the 5% average. Their second crop, or the safrina crop, is 3% planted versus 8% on average. The Brazilian reporting agency, Conab, is expecting a record for hectares planted this year. In Argentina, their corn crop is now 95% planted versus 92% average, and they have been experiencing dry conditions lately. So with that, some analysts are reducing yields for Argentina. We'll see what the USDA says in their February report. China appears to be shut down for a while, 
and that won't be good for corn demand. A lot of the recent bullishness was in part based on them buying some U.S. corn. So on the soybean bull factors, well, well, here's something. The Brazilian crop is only 4% harvested versus 5% on average, and the Argentinian crop is only 96% planted versus 98% on average. All right, seriously, soybean exports, while declining, continue to be up more than 23% over last year, with a cumulative number of 927 million bushels so far. But yeah, other than that, I've got nothing until we see the January NOPA crush info in a couple of weeks. U.S. crush has been strong. We'll see if that can continue. On soybean bear factors, well, part of the reason the U.S. crush has been strong is because of the ongoing issues with palm production. But lately, palm oil prices have dropped, and that's putting pressure on soy oil. On January 2nd, soybeans hit a recent high. Since that time, March futures are down more than 88 cents, and November futures are down more than 70 cents. We all keep thinking eventually we'll find a bottom, and we will. I just wonder how much further we'll drop until that happens. U.S. soybeans remain expensive when compared to Brazil. Last week's sales were reported at 17.3 million bushels, near the low end of expectations. Today's podcast is brought to you by The Averaging Contract. Landis Cooperative offers farmers an easy and affordable tool for marketing a portion of their production with The Averaging Contract. Farmer Dick Bloomgren uses The Averaging Contract. Eight out of ten years, The Averaging Contract has beat the fall price. But we hope that we can beat the average every time we sell one of ours. And and that's the way it has worked in the past. Landis Cooperative's averaging contract requires 5,000 bushel increments and just a four cent per bushel fee due at settlement. All the farmer has to do is set the basis. Dick says it works for his family farm. The nice part about the averaging contract is first, it's easy. We don't have to watch the markets. We know a certain percentage is sold and we sell it early enough that we don't have to worry about those bushels to begin with. So we know something is sold. At least we pulled the trigger on something. We also don't have storage in those bushels, which is probably the biggest part. You also don't have the drying to go down that extra point to get to storage. And so we do like the average contracts for a certain number of bushels. Call your Landis Cooperative Grain Marketing Advisor to learn how you could put averaging contracts to work for your farm. Some other things we have in our What to Watch For in Upcoming Events. Our Women in Ag Event Ventures is only two weeks away. This will be on Saturday, February 15th in Ankeny. Stay tuned for more details about this annual event or check out our website. The Iowa Caucuses are next Monday, February 3rd. I know there's a lot of strong feelings on both sides of the aisle this year, but I think that most Iowans will agree that it will be good to be able to turn on the TV without being overwhelmed with political ads. Brexit appears to be going forward. Today is the beginning of the end, although a full withdrawal will take until the end of the year. The impeachment trials are wrapping up. We'll see what next week brings on those. And we've got another interview at the end of this week's podcast. This week, our guest is Dr. Alan Gray, the Executive Director of the Center for Food and Agricultural Business, as well as the MSMBA Programs for Food and Agribusiness Management at Purdue University. He's got some interesting things to say, and we hope you'll stick around for that. Well, Cheyenne, why does it all matter? We continue to hear some issues with both corn and soybeans in bins. Please make sure you are monitoring your bins and checking them often. There's a lot of demand for good quality corn and soybeans this year, and many buyers are looking to Iowa to find the quality that they need. If you are experiencing any issues, please talk with your local GMA or your local location. We do have free price later open in many of our locations. We'd much rather have you bring it in now than have a bigger problem on both of our hands later. So please let us know how we can help. I think that's all we have today. We appreciate you joining us for the Bull Bear Banter. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us a tweet to at Landis Co-op or drop an email to podcast at landiscooperative.com. 
Our tagline is bears make money, bulls make money, and pigs just go to market. If you have any questions regarding grain marketing decisions, please reach out to your area grain marketing advisor. We want to thank you for listening and we'll both be back next week. Well, as promised, we've got another special interview today. I'm joined by Alan Gray. He is the executive director of the Center for Food and Agricultural Business and the MS and MBA program in food and agribusiness management at Purdue. So welcome, Dr. Gray. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I know today that you visited with the board of directors and our executive team about disruptions in the ag industry based on consumer demand for transparency. What's the one thing that you think today's farmers should remember when growing their crops as it relates to that topic? Sure. So we were talking a lot about sort of how the consumer is driving what happens in agriculture today and their sort of demands to know more what's happening with respect to their food. I think of it in terms of transparency. One of the things that I try to tell the board was that they should understand that, you know, today's consumer is very Reagan-esque in the sense that uh, they trust what the farmer's doing, but they want to verify what the farmer's doing. So they want to know that the things that the farmer says about things like, uh, hey, we're the best stewards of the land. Okay, we trust you, but I want to verify that. Show me how you are the best at doing that, right? And measuring how they're performing in those areas and letting them know that this is what we're doing. That's what we mean by transparency coming into that marketplace. Sure. And I know there's been a lot of talk lately just about helping people understand what we're doing and, you know, giving them a chance to go out on the farm if they want. And there's, there's a lot of activity around that as well. Yeah, of course. The willingness to accept the public into your operation, let them see what you're doing, show them how you're taking care of things, I think is, you know, increasingly that's in demand. The consumer wants to know where their food is coming from, what's happening with respect to the environment that that uh, food is being grown in, whether we're talking about crops or we're talking about animals, right? We want to know that our animals are taken care of well, that the environment is uh, that they're in is a healthy environment for them. And, and from a crop perspective, you know, we want to know what are you doing to... Um, make sure that we're putting less nitrates into the Mississippi River and affecting the dead zones in in the Gulf of Mexico. The consumer knows those things exist. They care about them. They don't want them to be there. We don't want them to be there either. But but the transparency piece of it is that they want to know what you're doing to take care of that. They don't want to just say, well, you say you're taking care of it. We'll just trust you. So you also talked about sustainability being tied directly to on-farm productivity. What are some ways a grower can improve productivity outside of yield? First and foremost, productivity is ultimately about getting more output from the same set of inputs. And we have uh, in agriculture the greatest sustainability story in the history of any industry. We have a 200, since 1948 a 270% increase in productivity for a 2% increase in inputs. Wow. So okay. it's the greatest sustainability story ever told. And it's a productivity story. And that's what sustainability should be about, right? Can we feed more people but do it without using a lot more inputs in the process? That's the whole definition of sustainability. But when I talk about productivity, often my farm audiences think of that as, well, it's yield increases. And yes, yield increase is certainly a part of that. But a big part of it is just about our ability to utilize our assets at the highest level possible. Are we using our land as the most effective and efficient way that keeps that soil health and soil viability for the future and getting the most productivity out of it. Are we using our machines in the most effective and efficient way, right? I tell farmers all the time, one of the things that we've got to do better and better all the time is we've got to be able to use less assets to produce the same amount of food. We can't afford to just keep buying more and more assets to do this. And so we think about productivity in terms of sort of how do we utilize our assets best. 
Part of that, of course, is yield increase, but a lot of it just has to do with the fact that can I use that uh, machine in more effective ways or that land in more effective ways or that barn in more effective ways, right? Sure. And I know there's a lot of talk in the industry today about data. How can a farmer most effectively use their own on-farm data to be more productive? The question is actually fairly simple. What can they do most? Share it. So one of the things that's a challenge for farmers these days is to understand that the on-farm data is only useful in comparison to off-farm data. That you gotta have benchmarking capabilities. We can only make so many decisions that have uh, any real impact when we're only using our own farm's data. But when we bring that data into the open with other data, we begin to learn a great deal more because we have so much more data available to us that we can learn from and then take our own data and compare it to what that learned broader set of data is so that it helps us move from data to information, to insights, and ultimately to implications. And this is where we are in the data world today. Many farmers are not having much trouble gathering data. They got more data than they know what to do with. But that's all it is, is data. They can take that data on their farm and they can turn it into information. What does that look like? It would look like taking uh, yield monitor data and turn it into a yield map. That's information. That's useful. You can have some information from that, but there's only so much you can do with a yield map to really improve productivity on your farm. But if I want to move to insights, which is a higher level, what does that information gives me some set of possible decisions that I might make? How, how do I compare to others? Exactly. That, okay. that, that's an insights. Now I have to do that with respect to others' data and information, okay? And then finally, the higher pinnacle of this is to get to implications, which is, okay, now I've seen what the range of possibilities are, and I combine that with the knowledge on my own farm again, and I say, okay, based on my farm, that's the decision I should make. We're still kind of wrestling around in sort of the data and information piece of this. Mm -hmm. uh, the getting to insights and implications is where we have to go. That's about sharing our data with other people, uh, with uh, like-minded people, with our, with our service providers to help us get better insights so we can drive to the implications and make decisions. That's good info. I know that you also shared your thoughts that we should be measuring costs and profit by bushels versus acres. Can you expand on the importance of understanding our own break-evens to be successful as a grain marketer? I say this in every audience I'm ever in and how often I get so much pushback on this idea. There is no other industry besides crop agriculture that measures its costs in one unit per acre and its output in another unit per bushel. It's the only industry that does that anywhere in the world. And I can't understand why we don't, we don't think about this, that we need to know our costs in the same units that we sell our product in. Now, the pushback I get all the time is, well, yeah, but we don't know what our yields are going to be because weather controls it and all that. Okay, that's a terrible excuse because people make so many decisions in their farm based on what they expect the yields are going to be. We sign rental cash agreements every year in January. We're not acres. even planted the crop yet. And we, we, we pay it on an acre basis, but we decide what we're willing to pay based on how many bushels we think that farm is going to produce. And then we pretend like we didn't make that assumption. doesn't make any sense. You can easily put your expected bushels in to figure out what your cost per bushel are. And as it relates to marketing, I have no idea how you're supposed to think about how you're supposed to uh, price your crop if you have no idea what your costs oh, exactly. per yeah. bushel are. Should I price at 350 Well, I don't know. Are your costs 375 Maybe not. 
Sure. Right? Should I? Uh, well, if my costs are three dollars and the price is three fifty. Is fifty cents a bushel? Is that enough? Is that the right profit margin level to be at? Okay. But if I don't know my costs, how can I even make those decisions very effectively? Right. So I have really tried to tell everybody in the industry the number one focus that a farmer has to have, particularly in a commodity market. Know your costs. Know your costs. Know your costs. But know your costs at the per bushel level. Yes, of course, on expected bushels. And as the year progresses, you may have to adjust that because you realize where your bushels are going to be. But you have to be able to make good, clear management decisions based on the right cost information. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Dr. Gray, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. And uh, I know the board uh, appreciated you spending some time with them as well. And we'll just say thanks for being here today. All right. Thank you.